Genesis 2 and 3. Um, I want to read together over the next two weeks. And um, I want to consider like the rise and fall of the human condition. Um, and why I want to do that is I want to consider the fall in particular side by side with the intention of, um, of humanity, that God's purpose and design for people, and, and then think of the fall as, as the undoing of that, and how we live uh, this side of redemption as f- both fallen people, sinful people, and people who are made in the image of God. Because the fall does not um, erase the image of God, but it does kind of like spoil our condition. Sin does not erase our dignity or our purpose, but it does corrupt um, who we are. And so I, I think there's this sort of this rise and fall. Um, and so our reading today is Genesis 2. Our reading next week is Genesis 3. But in a way, both of these talks this week and next week are on Genesis 2 and 3. Bible there, flip to Genesis 3, and I'm just going to give you a really quick rundown of what happens in Genesis 3. Um, we won't read it all. We will do that next week. But basically, Genesis 3, um, we have this serpent, who I'll talk um, a little bit about, uh, who basically uh, tricks the woman, Eve, who we just met, um, into doubting that she's not actually meant to um, eat the, the special tree that God um, said in in chapter 2 to Adam that wasn't for them and so he he tricks uh, Eve into doubting that God actually uh, has a plan has a purpose has um, their best interests and she ends up eating um, from the fruit of of the tree of of good and evil and so what happens is in that moment um, Adam eats the the fruit as well and it says um, that the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. And, and things began to unravel. Everything that was, was seemingly perfect was harmonious. Um, it said they were naked and unashamed. Now it says they realized they're naked and they had to quickly um, make clothes out of whatever was closest. Fig leaves um, is, is how they covered themselves. And then they uh, start to realize that like God is there and they're embarrassed of God and the connection with God's broken. And then... Um, God sort of uh, hands down these, these curses, these punishments on the animals, the serpent, on, on the women and on men. Um, and so we're going to get to that next week. And then God's gracious as well and says, I'll still um, clothe you and I'll, I'll help you even in the, the midst of this. So um, Genesis 2 and 3, I want to I package together. Um, and I just want to pray and then we'll, we'll get into it. Share, but Jesus, would you um, be opening up the eyes of our soul? Open up the eyes of our soul that we might see your heart for us. Amen. So, furniture is, I don't know about you, but furniture is not something um, you pay much attention to in like your childhood. Can it, does anyone agree? Or are some people like, we're interested in furniture, even as a child? Because that's hip if you were, like props to you. Um, I was not interested in furniture. Uh, the first time I went to Ikea, I like, I freaked out, I panicked. It was like too much for me. I, um, I think we just got married or were about to get married or something and like I was living at home up until basically I got married 
Um, so my idea of, of furnishing my room when I was a kid was like, does the Shane Warne poster go there or, or should I flip it around for the uh, Adam Gilchrist poster? It was very sort of, um, should I hang all my snapbacks up? Uh, that was a, a time in my, my life that I'm not a snapback man anymore. But all of a sudden I had to like uh, actually have a table and chairs and I didn't know anything. Um, and so uh, I had these um, friends from Williamstown um, who are quite wealthy uh, and they have friends who are even more wealthy and these guys like so like I'd been in their pool so if, if you've got a pool you know like I'd been on their, their yacht so like I was like these people are really wealthy but I wasn't very close with them they were more friends of friends and so I was moving out for the first time and my friend said oh my friend is getting rid of their Moran couch and I was like thanks for telling me, weird, weird thing to tell me. And she's like, I'm like, okay, cool. She's like, they're getting rid of their Moran couch. And I'm like, I don't know, what's, what's a Moran couch? Sounds like a moron couch to me, like change one letter. She's like, it's a Moran. I'm like, what's a Moran? Anyway, it turns out Moran is the brand that rich people love. That's like $6,000 couches and really like well-designed. And I was like, okay, cool. Never heard of this. But she goes, our friend's getting rid of their Moran couch. They need to get rid of it this weekend. Do you want it? And I was like, I'll go and see it. I'm used to, like, if someone's getting rid of their couch, it's because it's, like, fully broken. But apparently, like, really wealthy people, they just, like, get rid of stuff because, like, they're ready for a new thing. So I get this free Moran couch. I look up on, like, Maya's website, and it's, like, six $7,000 couch. I'm like, oh, these people just gave it to me. And then I realised it's so comfortable. It's so nice. It's It's, like... I'm like, whoa, this furniture, this is interesting. I'm never going to buy a $7,000 couch in my life. But I just got given one. This is sick. And it was really, really comfortable and fantastic. And then I started to sit on it. And I started to lie on it. I started to bounce on it. And I didn't take care of it. Because I wasn't used to, you know, what does it mean to take care of it? a couch? And I'd, I'd sit on the edge and... Anyway, starts getting rips in it. I don't take very good care of this couch. As I'm moving it around, like um, from house to house on trailers, it gets a few rips and, and breaks a bit. And anyway, um, the, the couch that's like beige at our house, you know that beige couch at our house? That's the couch. And it's honestly not that good anymore. Like it's kind of like sinks down and it's not that comfy. Like when it was given to us, it was super comfy and like in really quite good condition. And so I sometimes get on the phone when I've you know, got lots of time on my hands, which isn't that often, but sometimes I'm feeling like chill and I'm like, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna call up Moran and I'm gonna say, hey, could you um, maybe like reupholster the couch or like fill it again with your you know, special magical cushions or whatever you guys do to make this couch. And then they're like, yeah, we can, but like our warehouse in Cheltenham, so you'll have to bring the pillows. And I go, oh, yeah, I could do that. I still haven't got around to it, but I intend one day to get around to like fixing up this couch or giving it to them to fix up because it's, it's really comfortable, really good. I say all of that because I don't treat that couch like it's a piece of junk. Even though it's sort of fundamentally flawed now and 
and not super comfy and definitely not what it once was. I don't treat it like a piece of junk because it's not. At the same time, it needs fixing. And I can't fix it. I don't have any skills. I can like throw on a throw over it to like cover up where like the sort of, um, what's the material called on a couch? Fabric. Where the fabric's ripped or um, I can throw on, you know, some cushions and, and a rug and I can't fix it. I can only cover it up. And yet, because I know what it is and because I know what it once was, I'm not going to just throw it out on the front lawn and say, start again. I've tried starting again before. Caught up, you know, koala. They'll send you a boxed couch. Bought a couch from koala. Was, it was worse. Returned it. Like, tried a few different things and, and obviously... Um, you know, we've had to uh, shift around our furniture situation a few times in the last few years. But um, I'm not going to get rid of that couch, but it does need to be reupholstered and, and fixed um, by someone who knows what to do. And I think when we think of the rise and fall of the human condition, we have to be really careful that we don't think of the fall and decide that people are junk and, and throw them out. And sometimes um, the temptation can be to say, oh, all humans are sinful, they're pieces of junk. At the same time, to say every, because God made people good initially, that they'll always be perfect, is to be naive to the reality that, that we're actually really in need of, of some serious reupholstering. And we can't fix ourselves. We need someone who can do that. We need our, our maker. We need to send. We need to get sent back to the maker. Like I need to send the couch back to Moran. We need to be sent back to God. Or even better, God come to us. See, if Moran was to come over to my house, I'd, I'd get the couch fixed tomorrow. But I think this world that we live in can sometimes be beautiful but is often marred by a deep darkness which um, spoils the splendor of it all. And when we think of the origin story of, of darkness or the origin story of brokenness, of why this world has, has chaos and corruption and, and earthquakes and experiences of, of oppression and poverty and manipulation and all the darkness in this world, uh, the Christian story has two key answers evil and sin. The story of evil is, is hard to pin down. Um, the Bible speaks of the devil or the accuser or the adversary, the father of lies, the Satan, uh, lots of different names across the Bible. Um, but this agent of evil is never stronger than God. He's always inferior to God. And he can't dethrone God, but he does have a way of manipulating and tempting humans to worship themselves instead of God. To listen to their own appetites instead of God. To take their eyes off God. And whilst he can't dethrone God, he can take our eyes off God, so we dethrone God from the centre of our lives. And that's how sin entered the world. 
the creation story so far, Genesis 1 and 2, basically God created everything and everything was good. It's a beautiful story. God saw that it was good. 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 He made the humans. God saw that it was very good. The first thing he sees that isn't good was, was in Genesis 2. We read it today. It says, It is not good for man to be alone. Verse 18, chapter 2. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. Everything is, everything is good. Everything is, is beautiful in creation. So how do we end up with darkness and depravity? How do we end up with chaos and corruption? Did God not just, was Genesis 1 not just God taking chaos that was wild and waste and, and bringing it to beautiful order? Somehow there's a rise and fall. Somehow there's this original goodness as well as this original sin. And what I want to do um, for part one today is, is basically just consider all of the, the different functions of humanity uh, in Genesis 2 and 3 and the ways in which um, they rise and fall and then we'll really consider the fall part next week. So um, look with me at Genesis 2 verse 8 and 9. It says, The Lord God planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground that were pleasing to the eye, good for food. Verse 16 and 17. The Lord took the man, put him in the garden. The Lord God said, you're free to eat from any tree, just except for the tree of knowledge and good and evil. So we get initially that creation is a place of, of abundance, of beauty, of, um, of givenness. Adam is given all of this, this stuff to enjoy. It's pleasing to the eye. It's good for food. God is a, a, a giver of, of abundant things. He sets some boundaries as well. But ultimately, what, what's happening is that God is, is giving humans, because Adam is, is our representative father. Adam means human. So God is giving Adam, God is giving humans fruit and vegetables and animals and trees and seeds, beauty, abundance, food and drink. And what's going to happen that's going to fall. The, set, the serpent is going to say, I, I don't think you actually have enough. God hasn't given you everything. What about this other thing? The relationship between um, the givenness of creation is going to turn into a relationship of discontentment, of jealousy, of maybe, maybe I don't have enough. God, maybe I can't trust you. Maybe you're not good. So the first thing that, that rises and falls is, is simply our relationship to God's uh, gifts, to the givenness, the abundance of creation. Look at um, 2 verse 15. The Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. 
So, that, so what God gave man to do, what God gave Adam to do, what God gave humans to do, was to be a cultivator and a carer. To cultivate and care. That is what the initial vision for work was. To cultivate and care. It's, it's a gift. God gives him the job. Um, he didn't have to interview for the job. He just, it was just a gift from God. He gives him this role to, to care and cultivate this land. And even then to, to name, if you look at verse 19 and 20, to name the animals. He has this responsibility for the, um, the almost like the earth is his farm. And he gets to name each animal. I think that would be such a fun task. Like what would you call if you saw... A sort of cat-like looking big um, a tiger. I'll just give it away. If you saw a tiger, what would you call it? Like, what a cool creative job. What would you call a tiger? Like raw, toothy. I don't know. What would you call a, a hippopotamus? What would you call a, an elephant? What would you call a, a butterfly? What would you call a shark? What would you call a an eagle. It's a beautiful role. So, so work is, is a gift from God. And work is this, this role of, of responsibility and cultivation and care. And yet this is going to fall. Work is be, going to become something that is toilsome, that is hard. Uh, it says there's going to be enmity between the land and human. There's going to be enmity between... Uh, the animals and humans. That work is no longer going to be this beautiful thing of, of care and cultivation. It's going to be it's going to be toil. It's going to it's going to be it's going to be sweaty and difficult. God says even He curses the ground. If you want to flick over to Genesis three briefly, it says um, verse seventeen to nineteen. Cursed is the ground. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food. Like just in chapter 2, God's given him everything. It's it's been this beautiful um, receiving and now it's going to become this toil. Marriage. Marriage is going to rise and fall in the human story. Um, verse 18 of chapter 2. It says, uh, The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And this is an important verse, actually, in discussing gender and sexuality because um, this word helper um, means uh, similar but different. It means the animals wouldn't do. It said the animals wouldn't do, that Adam needed something more similar to him than the animals, but still different from him because he couldn't do it alone. The implications of this verse are that um, men need women and women need men. We need one another. Now, not everyone has to be married necessarily, but... It's not good for, for man to be alone. We need one another. And it's not good for us to just 
there are times when it's good to do men's ministries and women's ministries, but, but the church should never be um, a place just for men. We need women. We need people who are different from us. Women need men. And, and sexuality is, is actually a, a topic here that comes up because God's design for marriage is, is man and woman. Similar but different. And so what God does is it says in the, the next verses, um, what the Lord did was, um, verse 20, no suitable helper was found, so the Lord caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. And the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and brought her to the man. Now, culturally, what this, this means is that um, she's made from the same stuff. She's, she's bone of my bones. She's, she's taken from the side. So that in every way, she is also human. She is also Adam. So you can sometimes come across this discussion of like, are men and women really different or is it just enculturated? I think the answer is both. Of course it's enculturated and, and we can do a lot of good things to um, reverse the curse of uh, like gender norms that have been uh, prescribed that, that mean nothing, that aren't necessary. There's no reason why uh, a man should be into, um, you know, Sports and a woman should be into fashion. That's that's BS. I like sports and fashion. You might like neither. Who cares? There's a lot of, of weird stuff that that's goes on in, in childhood and in culture that says this is what a man should do, this is what a woman should do. But there is a created difference between man and woman at the same time. It's not necessarily about gender roles and, and interests, um, but, but there's something different about men and women. And, and God says we need both, and God says marriage is to be between a man and a woman. And sometimes there's even um, some, some functional roles that uh, suit a man or a woman um, better than the other. But it's this beautiful partnership in Genesis 2. It's like they're, they're made from the same stuff, they're, they're equal but different. Um, it gets even juicier if you um, want to put on your MA15 Plus um, you know, card to say I can enter this movie because it says, the man said, verse 23, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And a ma- this is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. I'm not going to go into what one flesh means, but you probably get the picture. Because Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. It's pretty, um, it's pretty like beautiful, this marriage. What's going on is, is not just partnership. There's this sexual union um, like where sexuality is, is not a shameful thing. Nakedness is not a shameful thing. Um, what's going to happen, though, is this is going to fall. And nakedness is going to be a shame. And sexuality is going to be a complicated thing. It's going to say in chapter 3 that all of a sudden um, like, there's going to be this power dynamic between men and women that's really complex and difficult. 
that there's going to be this like desire and yearning that the woman has for the man's approval and, and the man is going to um, sort of have this power over her that, that it's part of the fall. What we see in Genesis 2 is perfect harmony. Harmony between God and humans. Harmony between humans and humans. Harmony between humans and creation. The Garden of Eden is this beautiful place of harmony. And, and what the fall is going to do is, is cause disharmony, disunity. The relationship with, with humans and God is going to be fractured. The relationship between humans is going to be fractured. Between man and woman, fractured. Between humans and animals, fractured. The relationship with our bodies, the relationship with our sexuality, the relationship with with food and the givenness of things, with work, it's all going to be fractured when God made it to be so good. And so next week we're going to get more into what the fracturing looks like. But where I want to finish today is to consider that if we've inherited the human condition from our representative parents, Adam and Eve, then so much of who we are is made to flourish and is made good. Then so much of our identity is that we're we're made to work, we're made to love, we're made to be together, we're made to be in unity, we're made to live in harmony. But we live this side of the fall. And yet we live this side of redemption. So this is a creative challenge because we live now as, as fallen people but um, saved people, redeemed people. And so sometimes we, we'd have to work out what does it look like? Do we live in a way where we go, I'm a new creation? The, the Moran couch has been completely fixed. And we can bounce on it again. And we can, you know, um, play stacks on and see if we can fit 20 people and Matisse all on the one couch. Or do we have to go, oh, there's still this brokenness. There's still this, this incompleteness. There's still, it's, it's actually faulty. It's actually frail. And the answer is yes. The answer is both. We're somehow inherently beautiful We're somehow originally good and yet we're inherently fallible, depraved, corrupted and sinful. And so we live in this this creative tension where we go, there's original sin and original goodness and and sin and goodness (coughs) run throughout our blood and runs through our heart. We've fallen short of God. We're we're frail, we're flawed. And yet we're made with this this beautiful intention. And and God, God's design for you, God's purpose for you is, is good and beautiful and glorious. And He created you uh, as a gift. He created you um, not because he had to, we weren't necessary, creation wasn't necessary. He was like, I just, out of my love, I want to bring Andy into being. I want to bring Annie into being. I want to bring Sarah into being. 
that, that when Jesus teaches us a new way to be human, that God's design in Genesis 1 and 2 is something like what he has in mind. That there's a, a perfect communion and connection with, with God, with one another, between the sexes, between the animals, between us and the land that's been separated by sin. And God wants to put it back together. God wants to take us back to Eden. And so as we learn to live accepting that the fall is a reality that still taints our world and still affects and infects us, and we also live with an awareness of the reality that God has a, a good original plan and it, it wants to bring that about into the future. And, and funny enough, um, when it says Adam needed a helper, in the end, um, the Holy Spirit is, is called helper in the New Testament. And so the Spirit actually is going to help us, as well as man and woman are going to help us. And somehow we're going to learn to live both outside and inside the garden at the same time. In, in, in the sinful reality of of the world we live in and in the glorious reality of, of the goodness of creation. We're going to live in the light and the darkness. And we're only um, yeah, one more week to, of considering that state and then we're going to get to the, the cross and how that, in some ways, is the, the ultimate triumph over the fall, over sin. But let's pray now. Um, God, I want to thank you for the way that you um, put your design into motion and the way that you've um, got a purpose for all of us and the way that you have a, a, a beautiful design um, for our relationships with one another, for our sexuality, for our um, relationship with, with being a man or a woman, for our relationship with work and, and the cultivation and care of of this world, for our relationship with uh, you, for our relationship with our bodies, nakedness, the givenness of things, food and drink. We, rem- we remember that once it was, was all, all wonderful and all harmonious. And whilst it's not exactly that right now, we, we look forward to you continuing to to make us more into your image and and redeem the world a bit more and a bit more and then one day the whole life. And we look forward to that day, Jesus. Amen. Let's stand up and sing.